Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Wednesday, August the 24th, 2022. We've been doing some shows recently on cities. Yesterday, we did a show on Berlin with the British author Sinclair Mackay, uh, has a new book out, uh, Berlin, Life and Death in the City at the Center of the World. The other city that I think could claim to be at the center of the world is New York. Cities are, of course, complicated places. When we had Ben Wilson on the show last year, wrote, written a book on uh, Metropolis, uh, the history of the city, he describes cities as humankind's greatest invention. But cities like Berlin and New York are more than just great. They're complicated. They're sad. We're nostalgic in many ways or bemused or amazed by their histories. When it comes to New York over the last 40 or 50 years, there's a great deal of nostalgia, I think, for New York of the 1970s and 80s. Did a show with Thomas Deja, the New York city-based author, has a new book out, New York, New York, New York, Four Decades of Success, Excess and Transformation, which traces the history of New York over the last 40 or 50 years. Uh, and last month, we did a show with the crime writer Dwyer Murphy uh, on his new book, uh, An Honest Living. It's a novel, it's fictional, but it's also, as he acknowledged in our conversation, it's nostalgic for what he calls an analog New York, a New York before digital, before the internet radically transformed everything, particularly cities. When one thinks, I think, of an analog New York for New Yorkers who were around at the time, one often thinks of a chain of electronics stores called Crazy Eddies, which seem to epitomize all the absurdity, the promise, the color, and of course, the dishonesty, the hucksterism of the analog New York. I'm thrilled that we actually have a new book out about Crazy Eddie called Retail Gangster, the insane real life story of Crazy Eddie. And its author, uh, Gary Weiss, is joining us, appropriate enough, Gary, from the Catskills. Yes, where, from the Catskills. Where guys like Crazy Eddie went back to, uh, to, to, to relax after all their naughty business. So, Gary, how much does the story of Crazy Eddie capture the spirit of New York, the analog New York of the 1970s and 80s? Well, you can't. Well, first of all, thanks very much for having me uh, on, on this broadcast, uh, uh, Andrew. I very much appreciate it. Um, I think you can't really write about Crazy Eddie without writing about sort of what New York City was like in the 19. 70s and 1980s because uh, Crazy Eddie really, um, in many respects, it epitomized New York of that era. You know, there was a, there was a survey uh, which found that uh, Crazy Eddie had more name recognition than the mayor at the time, Ed Koch, or the president of the United States. Uh, it was sort of the symbol of New York. Um, when we think about um analog New York, the analog New York that Dwyer Murphy, for example, is nostalgic for in his book, Honest Living. Crazy Eddie, of course, captured the analog nature of New York because they were selling electronics, but a pre-internet 
pre-digital kind of electronics. So what was the mostly the business of, of, of Crazy Eddie? Was it video machines, uh, I guess early CD players, record players, uh, air conditioners, everything that was electronic? Yeah, they sell. Uh, it was once described as everything, everything with a that that with a plug. You know, they they sold um, they sold basically every electronics. I mean, they're 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 they they started out selling stereo equipment, and that was sort of the center of the scam. You know, trying to beat the big guys at high end stereo equipment, but they sold pretty much everything over the years. Everything from off price sort of no name brands to the big brands. They would sell the big brands and try to push their customers into the low price brands because the low price brands were a higher profit margin for them. What were the stores like, Gary? I mean, they're hard to bring to life in a book like yours. When you went into a Crazy Eddie's in the old days, would you be surrounded with salespeople? Would you be continually pitched or were you left alone? Well, you were never left alone. That would get you fired if you were a salesman, Crazy Eddie. When you went in, the salesman had a choreographed routine. You'd be approached by one salesperson. He would, well, one salesman. They didn't have any saleswomen. The salesman would come up, ask you, how is everything? You know, what are you here for, sir? You know, um, and the, the hard sell would begin immediately. If you wanted a product that was advertised, you wanted a name brand that was advertised, they tried to push you into a lower uh, a lower price um, product, so customers didn't think they were they were being victimized by what's known as bait and switch. Usually, bait and switch is pushing you into a higher higher price product. But what they didn't know is that by being pushed into a lower price product, the salesman wasn't doing you a favor. Eddie had a higher margin on the lower price products. Now that wasn't criminal. The criminality was in many many other ways. You know, they would sell used products as new. Um, and they would steal the sales tax in order to get, in order to advertise lower price products as they were sometimes doing in order to be able to advertise lower price products. Uh, they would steal the sales tax that they would collect from customers. And this is how they beat the competition by, by criminality, by tax fraud, charging sales tax and not bring, not passing it on to the, uh, uh, to the sales tax authorities. Gary, you've mentioned, um, advertising a couple of times when, People who were around at the time remember Crazy Eddie. They remember the 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 very aggressive, colorful advertising on television. It's no surprise that Crazy Eddie made a lot of money selling physical televisions too. Uh, the um, there was an actor. What was his name? Paul Carroll, who was the the Carole. star of Crazy Carole. Eddie. In fact, most people thought that he actually was Crazy Eddie. And even the New York Times review, they say Crazy Eddie's life was insane because all these advertisements came uh, with the idea of insanity. I think that was the, the stock phrase. Um, how much did Crazy Eddie capture that last gasp of a culture, a commercial culture in which all advertising took place on television? Well, at the time that um, Crazy Eddie was in existence, there was there wasn't really no cable television. You know, there was there were no cable networks uh, to speak of back then. Cable television was in its infancy. There were there were uh, something like nine broadcast channels in New York, and Crazy Eddie blanketed those broadcast channels with these Jerry Carroll commercials that you mentioned. And they were brilliant. They were they were in many respects 
brilliant marketing, you know, because uh, these these were this was a guy who was a, who yeah, was a Jerry disc Carroll jockey. is a, a former New York uh, DJ. Became very famous, perhaps more famous than as a DJ, and is himself. He became famous as Crazy Eddie. Yeah, yeah. Jerry Carroll was. Everybody thought Jerry Carroll was Eddie. They didn't know. They didn't understand. You know. Um, Derek Howe was a really talented guy. He was he was brilliant, and they they had a, I mean, in many respects, Eddie was was a sort of a as a legitimate businessman. He was he wasn't that bad, you know. He had a real taste for marketing, you know. He hired uh, some guy who brought in, uh, who brought in uh, Jerry Carroll, and uh, this Jerry Carroll, um, you know, crazy the the whole concept of a crazy merchant you know he's selling stuff that's so uh, pri such low prices it's he's crazy that's been around for many many years you know eddie stole yeah, eddie uh, came yeah. from uh, uh um gary it came so to speak from the old country i mean it wasn't that foreign to a man like gary uh not like gary weiss like uh crazy eddie uh he came from syrian jewish family he came from that commercial world of uh, of of uh, of the souk to to be selling stuff aggressively, so it wasn't sure. that that foreign. And I guess it wasn't that foreign to New Yorkers. I mean, as you say, people would walk into shops. Most of most of New York probably wouldn't have been that surprised that he was running to some extent a scam. It wasn't a complete scam. I mean, he was selling real stuff to real people, but he sure. was just skimming off the top, right? Well, yeah. I mean, he, he, you know, that that's what a lot of fraud is. You know, he didn't take every single penny. It wasn't like Madoff. He didn't take every single penny that they gave him. No, he ran a he ran a retail shop. He gave people products, but you know, every aspect. You know, behind the scenes is where all a lot of the fraud was. In addition to the bait and switch that I described, uh, they would submit warranty claims that were fraud. The majority of their warranty claims. Uh, in the 70s and 80s were completely fraudulent. They, um, they they would engage in wide scale, large scale insurance fraud. Um, every time that there was a that there was a leak in the plumbing, all the, the uh, products they couldn't sell sell got wet, and were products of this uh, of this leak in the roof of the store in the Bronx or wherever. Yeah, I mean, it's all to me. It's I, I have to admit it's rather amusing. You've written a lot about. How the mafia, other books, Born to Steal, when the mafia hit Wall Street, Wall Street versus America. I mean, this is not the wolf of Wall Street, is it? Um, this is not Russian fraud. This is not dirty money. There wasn't a lot of violence involved, was there? No, no, not really. No, there was no violence. Uh, well, Eddie was a wife beater. You can't discount that. You know, every aspect of yeah, his life. Yeah, that's what I to do with his business. I mean, he could have been a yeah. wife beater and worked at a, at a white collar law firm. Oh, sure, sure, sure. But, I mean, there's no question that the, 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 the store, you know, there was certainly no violence in the fraud. Um, you know, and it was economic violence, if you want to call that violence. No, there was no uh this was there was not about but it's funny you should mention the mafia you know one of the there was so many ridiculous things that happened that crazy eddie one of which was that a guy who one of their one of their top people one of their up-and-coming young guys who was basically a legitimate guy he went on to become uh, the acting boss of the banana crime family you know it's just amazing that all the little subplots that i was running into uh, as I was researching the story, it was really uh, absolutely stunned me. Absolutely I mean, the language me. that was used, um, uh, there's obviously comparison with Bernie Madoff, although, again, Crazy Eddie was nothing compared to him. But the 
U.S. attorney at the time, Michael Chertoff, called Crazy Eddie the Darth Vader of capitalism. That even has a nostalgic ring, doesn't it, Gary? I mean, the idea of of Crazy Eddie skimming off sales tax and and, and trying to rip off um, uh, manufacturers for uh, for sending back broken gear. I mean, to me, the idea of him as Darth Vader is absurd. Well, that was a bit of an over, overstatement. You know, I, I, the way I look at it, at Eddie is a little bit more that he was part of the fabric of New York. You know, it's it's forgotten nowadays, often forgotten nowadays, but that for many, many, for several decades, New York City's books were cooked. This led to a financial crisis in the mid-70s. The exact kind of accounting fraud that Eddie committed was basically committed by the New York City government in the 1960s and 1970s. So as I as I say in the book, if you want to look at you know, if you if you want to if if Eddie wanted to look at sort of like a, 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 a an example of the kind of fraud that he was going to commit, all he had to do was look at City Hall to get inspiration for his frauds. And as should, senior, we be, uh, Gary, should we be nostalgic? As I said, uh, Dwyer Murphy is nostalgic for that analog America, uh, analog New York. Uh, I'm not sure if he's nostalgic and i'm not sure if crazy eddie shows up in an honest living but should we be nostalgic for that world it seemed a much simpler much more childish world of small-time criminals like crazy eddie compared now to russian money the wolf of wall street the consequences of neoliberalism uh, when we think of new york of course in the 1970s we think of taxi driver and a, and a very gritty, very down-to-earth, very authentic world, which has, of course, disappeared entirely. Well, I think it's understandable to be nostalgic, but people have selective memories. They forget how difficult it was to live in New York City back then. They forget the crime. The crime was much, much, much worse than it is today, even though crime has started to return. It was, murders were so commonplace in New York City in the 1960s and 1970s, and I think in the 1980s, that they, most of them were not even reported in the newspapers. Now, I lived in New York, and I remember our, our jeweler down the street from me was killed, Mr. Buddha. It didn't get in the papers. I, I, you know, in retrospect, I can't believe it. But at the time, that was a, that was a, that's the way things were in New York City. Nowadays, well, at least murders get in the paper. Gary, but is sure. there a connection between that, the fact that there was so much violence, so many killings, it was such a dangerous place to walk around, and crazy Eddie? How rotten were the police, and to what extent was were the police in? Crazy Eddie's pocket, or at least in his pay, during the heyday of, of, of his electronics empire? Well, Eddie employed uh, off-duty cops um, uh, for security. So, in fact, when there was a riot, uh, there was a big blackout in 1978. There was a big blackout. Um, Eddie uh, dispatched his off-duty police officers to the Bronx store, which was very exposed to prevent them from being looted. It was like the only store on Fordham Road in the Bronx not not to be looted. Um, but you see, I mean, I think people tend to be selective. You know, they forget the crime, they forget the ma- massive police corruption, the municipal corruption at the time. Uh, and they look, and it's understandable, and they look at the days, well, things were cheaper, things were easier. You know, the, the certain aspects of living in New York were, were much easier. You could actually afford an apartment. Uh, back then, uh, which you can't anymore. Now that now would it be fair to say that the New York of Crazy Eddie was much 
less inegalitarian, that perhaps everyone was being ripped off, uh, but you didn't have this almost medieval tableau of extreme wealth and poverty, which now defines maybe not Manhattan, because you've got to be pretty wealthy to live there in the first place, but the whole nature of life in a global metropolis like New York City. Well, New York City lost pretty much all of its what they call white working class uh, between, say, 1975 and the current day. Everybody fled. There, there is no longer a white working class uh, in New York City. And that was, that was, that was basically Eddie's, uh, Eddie's clientele or the white working class. Uh, and I think uh, nowadays you have extremes of poverty and wealth that you didn't have, and, and the middle class in general has just kind of evaporated uh, in the city. But in particular, uh, the white working class demographic, which you used to have in Brooklyn and in Queens and whatever, has, 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 has pretty much gone. And that's, that's one of the things that people I think uh, are kind of like, you know, it's that cultural aspect that is gone. You know, uh, you know, there was, on television, we used to have a program called uh, Archie Bunker, you know, the Archie Bunker character epitomized a certain type of New Yorker, a white Irish uh, working class guy, you know. Yeah, that would be the kind of individual who would go into a store at Crazy Eddie, you know, the Crazy Eddie commercials appeal uh, to that kind of guy. And, and, and that whole, aspect in New York has, has, has vanished. It's funny you keep on, you know, we talk about Archie Bank, uh, Archie Bunker, white working class. They haven't vanished from America. They've just vanished from New York. And of course, yeah, they are increasingly defining American politics. We haven't mentioned Donald Trump. I don't always like to bring him up, but I think it's appropriate in this conversation. I, I assume Trump would have grown up in the age of crazy ideas. He would have seen many of the yeah. ads. He seems to be a man who is addicted to television. Do you think he learned some of his quote unquote arts of selling of aggression of commercial aggressiveness from crazy Eddie? It seems as if in some ways uh, he's the political version or his operation is the political version of crazy Eddie. Oh yeah. I, I think there's absolutely no question about that. You know, he was from Queens originally, even though he, you know, made his fortune in Manhattan. Uh, he and his family were from Queens. He grew up in Queens. Um, and Queens, the borough of Queens, um, you know, was one of the places where there were a bunch of crazy 80 scores. He was basically what you call an outer borough guy. You know, the outer borough people was what crazy 80 appealed to, you know, people who didn't live in Manhattan, although eventually they sort of appealed to everybody, but their base were, were, were the, uh, you know, working people in the outer boroughs. Uh, that was, and that, that was a crazy 80s, uh, milieu and that was Trump's milieu, you know, and that's what, that's a very good point because people don't generally point out, you know, with his New York accent, with his hard sell, with his lying, Trump is very much a New York, uh, fraudster, you could say, <laughs> very much a New York, um, New York character. And it, I don't think that's emphasized enough when people discuss fraud, that he's a creature of New York City, of the outer boroughs. And, so yeah, and, and, and Trump also has a pretty rotten family business. He keeps his family close, uh, like Crazy Eddie as well, who ran oh, yeah. a family business. As you say, he beat his wife up. It wouldn't surprise me if Trump beat some of his wives up. It yeah. seems to be this obsession with family of, of, of both Crazy Eddie and Donald Trump. Well, they both have in common that uh, they had fathers who were sort of 
in the business before they were. And although there were a lot of differences, uh, Eddie, um, you know, is sort of the anointed son. Um, I don't believe Trump actually was. I think he had an older brother. I'm not that familiar I mean, well, with him. I think he became the anointed son because the older brother drunk, drank himself to death. So uh, mm. did, was Crazy Eddie's father as much a, 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 of a bully as Fred Trump? He was, um, except that the difference was that at a certain point, Eddie became bigger than, you know, I mean, Eddie became bigger than his father and humiliated his father. And it didn't quite happen with Trump and his father, Fred Trump. It was a, there's somewhat of a different dynamic uh, between the father and the son. But there was no question there was this uh, over overarching fig father figure um, that in both Trump and in the Antars. But maybe, the Antars uh, maybe the crazy Eddie story um, points to what will become of Trump. He eventually was arrested um, and the authorities clamped down on him. What 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 was the end of the, the crazy Eddie story? Was his arrest, did it result in the closing of the stores or did the stores close before he was arrested? Well, they closed while he was in Israel. He fled to Israel uh, to escape prosecution. He um, it, it, the store was taken over before he fled. Uh, the stores were taken over uh, by a hostile uh, acquiring group, which discovered the fraud. And it was right at about that time that what uh, year was that? That was uh, that was 1990, yeah. 1990, 1991. And it was right just around that the beginning time. of uh, just just before Amazon was founded, just at the beginning of the Internet. And was it because the dishonesty of the, the business was being revealed or simply that it was a, a Madoff like Ponzi scheme, which couldn't continue forever? No, it was, well, there were elements of both, actually. They couldn't really continue the, the fraud. The fraud, they needed to commit more fraud and more fraud as time went on. made off in that sense, but on a smaller scale. Yeah. Well, the new, the, new, the, new, the new people taking it over the company were astonished to find that they, they were hoodwinked. They were the last sort of major victim of, of Crazy Eddie. They discovered, hey, look at this company. We bought a fraudulent company. It's well, assets. I, the word, uh, I mean, Gary, you used the word astonished. It reminds me of the line in in Casablanca, you know, astonished, mm -hmm. uh, wink, wink. Uh, I mean, nobody could have been astonished that he was running a rotten business. Could they? I mean, especially if you know that everyone in New York was on the take from government to police to mm -hmm. store owners to everybody. Well, you would think you'd think that they wouldn't really be astonished. But the new people who took over Crazy Eddie, they really were astonished. Uh, they were completely 100% hoodwinked into thinking that they were buying a really great company that just had a few problems, but they had no idea. They had absolutely no idea. <laughs> to use a technical word, Gary, they were schmucks, in other words. I mean, how oh, could you be that oh, much yeah. of a schmuck? They're the dictionary definition of schmuck. You know, I think their photographs are, illustrate the, uh, the definition in the uh, Webster Illustrated Dictionary. Oh, One yeah, difference were, between Crazy Eddie, of course, and Donald Trump is that Trump behaves in some ways like Crazy Eddie, but he's not Jewish. And uh, Crazy Eddie was of Syrian Jewish family, and he yeah. ran away to Israel. The Jewish press is interested in your book. It's a big review in the Times of Israel. Is his Jewish identity relevant, um, Gary, without us falling into unpleasant stereotypes of Jewish hucksters? 
Well, I, I, I look at it in a couple of ways. I mean, first of all, I think his Jewish identity became part of his fraud. You know, he fled to Israel. You know, he had a right to immigrate to Israel. He was Jewish. He fled to Israel and he became a citizen legitimately. But he also be, gave Israeli citizenship to one of his aliases, which is a complete denigration, a complete um, uh, uh, <laughs> he made a mockery of the law of return. He made fools of the Israelis. So you mean he, he had a, a fictional alias that he gave Israeli citizenship yeah. to? Yeah, he gave a, he he became citizen under the name um, David. I think you know, the name escapes me. David Irving Cohen or whatever his name is was. And when the Israelis found out that he had done this, you know, he became a citizen. Fine, that's one thing. But but the fact he gave he 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 got phony passports from Brazil, and 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 he made a citizen of, of the phony of the phony passports. They hated that. They really wanted to get rid of him. I mean, so he later on he said, "Oh, I'm a victim of anti-Semitism." The judge is an anti-Semite, and he tried to play his Jewish card. But in Israel, the judge was an anti-Semite. In Israel, and and that was later on when he was put on trial. These other oh, judges an anti-Semite, which was which was nonsense. But yeah, actually, he just used his Jewish identity as part of his fraud. You know, he went to Israel because he had the ability to emigrate to Israel. And that, and and then he made sure that his his alias also became uh, a citizen. You know, he couldn't stop committing crimes. He committed crimes in Israel. He had phony passports. You know, that, I I don't know what the uh, exact penalty would be in Israel for doing what he did, but I really don't think. Maybe he did. You ever try and get his, in the book? Did you try to get mm -hmm. into his head? I mean, if 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 we could explore the head of Crazy Eddie, what would we find? Just. Uh, 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 a criminal, a small-time criminal, intoxicated with breaking the rules. Yeah, you know, I, I I try not to be a mind reader. You know, I think the facts, so to speak, for themselves. I like to go for the action. What did he do? I didn't try to psychoanalyze him because you're always going to be wrong when you try to do that. You know, uh, I, I I think you know the, the 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 easy explanation is that he was a sociopath. But I look upon it a, a little differently. I, I think that as a fraudster, he was a poor chess player. Now, this is, I think, as a commonality among the fraudsters who I've written about over the years. He couldn't think two to three moves ahead. For instance, he went public. Okay, he started selling stock to the public, but it never dawned on him that if he starts selling stock to the public, somebody can take over the company and uncover his fraud. That never occurred to him, nor did it occur to his co-conspirators, one of whom was one of my principal sources, Sammy Antar. Didn't occur to them in, a, in a perhaps a vivid enough way, but it certainly didn't occur to Eddie. But if he went public, that would be the end of him because someone's going to take him over. Or that could be the end of him. This whole thing, uh, I mean, it's crying out, we'd mentioned Taxi Driver, it's crying out for a movie. Apparently Dan Danny DeVito in 2009 announced plans for a movie didn't make it in 2019 uh national treasure director john turtletown uh, said he was gonna direct it do you think there's gonna be a there has to be a crazy eddie movie which captures that new york doesn't there gary maybe they'll make it out of your book have you had any uh movie studios sniffing around the book well they haven't been sniffing around me i can tell you that um, I agree with you. I mean, I think there's no question that um, who would who would play Crazy Eddie? I'd be happy to play him. You'd be no, a I'm good really, Crazy Eddie. No, I mean, I'd be I'm not sure Eddie. how corrupt you are. 
it, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I mean, it would make a, it would make a, it would make a great TV miniseries. It would make a great feature film. And hey, and what about the operators are standing by, as we said. Operators are standing by. Well, it's a it's a wonderful story, and you tell it in a wonderfully crazy Eddie kind of way, Gary. Congratulations on the book, well, Retail Gangster, the insane real life story of Crazy Eddie. It really is insane and real life which was what new york was like 40 years ago what else have you been reading gary these days anything interesting well i'm a great fan of ben mcintyre i have to admit i he's got a new book coming out in september on Colditz castle and i i already pre-ordered it i love everything that guy writes he is just absolutely fantastic uh, his book, I, I didn't really like the movie very much, but his book, Operation Mincemeat, it was one of the best nonfiction narratives I've ever read. I'm a huge fan of Ben McIntyre, uh, tremendous writer.